how do we talk about the bad things in Scripture? You know, specifically, you know, how do we talk about those passages that don't seem very fun? They might be a little bit hairy and they're kind of weird. And they also sometimes make us really look inward. How do we talk about, you know, the bad parts of Scripture? Well, you know, the first thing is we talk about them. We can't gloss over them. Uh, you know, we can't ignore uh, just the things that, that don't immediately seem fun to talk about. Uh, you know, last week I told you that this story, the story of 1 Samuel chapter 3, is, is one that we normally use to really inspire people. And if we look at the first half of 1 Samuel 3, which we talked about last week, you know, we can do that. It's a great story. You can tell it to the kids. I've told you before, I've used that story. It's a fantastic story. Talk about what does it mean to hear God's call in our life. But if we look at the first few chapters of 1 Samuel, we really can't do that. And I'm not saying that you know, last week's story isn't nice. It's, it's, it's really and truly, it is a light in the middle of darkness. And last week I told you how it, this is a story of transition that we're seeing. It's of a, of a significant change in the life of Israel uh, from a journey of chaos into a life of order. And it's an order of hope. So today we're going to talk about the last half of 1 Samuel 3. We're going to talk about these rough bits, but we're also going to talk about where we can see ourselves and learn from this. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 11 through 21. We'll read through the rest of the chapter. So 1 Samuel 3, 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make both the ears of anyone who hears it tingle. That's where we left off last week. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or by offering forever." Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli said, Samuel, and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel said, here I am. Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and none of his words fell to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a little bit of a background. From the chapter before this, we alluded to this a little bit last week. But we need to kind of go a little bit more in depth. We find out that Eli's sons, who are also serving as priests at Shiloh with their father, that they're not taking their job seriously. You know, what they're really doing here, that's, that's, it's bothersome. It seems obscure to us, but we're going to kind of maybe try to clarify that obscurity. You know, they were taking part of the sacrificial offering for themselves before the sacrifice. What would normally happen is they were supposed to take the fatty parts, you know, the good parts, and they're supposed to be offered in fire to the Lord. And after that, the rest of this animal was thrown in a giant pot to be a, another sacrifice. And what the priests were allowed to do was to stick a fork in the pot. And whatever they pulled out, they got to keep. 
Friends, let me ask you a question. Do you want grilled wrap, do you want grilled ribeye or a boiled roast? Which one do you want? Eli's sons were going to people before the sacrifice and demanding that they be given the choice cuts instead of offering those choice cuts to the Lord. They wanted to sidestep not just what they were supposed to get, but they wanted to get what was supposed to be offered to the Lord. And so it's not just them sinning, they're then bringing the people who are bringing their sacrifices. This is the thing that you did once a year, it's supposed to be a celebration. And if we read back into Deuteronomy, we find out that after you, eat, you offer the fatty, the fatty things to the Lord, then you eat your own fatty things for yourself. It's supposed to be a feast, a celebration. So these, these two boys are taking in and in, involving these other people in the sacrifices as well because what they are taking for themselves is what those folks were supposed to sacrifice to the Lord. So it's not just them sinning themselves, but they were bringing other people into their sin. We also learn in chapter 2 that Samuel is growing in favor before the Lord. Remember, all of this is before what we've talked about these last couple weeks. This was an ongoing thing. And we find in chapter 2 that the sin of the sons of Eli, uh, that it, was, it was great in the eyes of the Lord because they're treating the offering of the Lord in contempt. It wasn't that God said, I want my ribeye, you don't get my ribeye. But it was the fact that they said, you know, God doesn't deserve this good stuff. We should get this good stuff because we're the ones doing the work down here. Eli confronts his sons about this and can't do anything to control them. They kind of talk back to him and Eli decides just to leave it where it lay. Then Eli has another man of God, another prophet, come to him and prophesy to Eli that him not stopping his sons is Eli actually now putting himself in their sin as well. And this man of God tells Eli that he's going to be cut off and his entire line is going to be cut off from the presence of God. That God will appoint a new priest to lead his people outside of the family of Eli. And they've been the priests now directly descending from Moses' brother Aaron. So for several hundred years, this has been their family's lot. Because of the sins of Eli, his sons, and what they are doing, God says, I'm cutting y'all off completely. And this is where we come into our story last week about Samuel being you know, woken up at night uh, with this voice of the Lord calling to him. And our, our first verse that we read today, the last verse from last week, it actually puts this passage in a, a greater light. God says, I'm going to tell you something that will make people's ears tingle. Now that sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? No one we think about, well, my ears are tingling. This is something exciting. This is going to be, well, not in Scripture. This only shows up three times in all of the Old Testament. Every single time, uh, it's a condemnation. And it's a warning that judgment is about to be coming. That sin has been put out in the open, and that sin and the effects of this sin are not going to be hidden. They're going to be made known. So we know this isn't just some private message between uh, God and Eli, that this is being made known amongst the people, that the people have been talking. You know, the priest's sons are taking our offerings from us and keeping them for themselves. Y'all know good and well that that's kind of folks, folks, things folks love to talk about outside of church, isn't it? People haven't changed that much, y'all. God's saying, I'm about to put my judgment out 
in the open. The sin of Eli and his family is going to be brought into light in a way that affects everyone. And we're not going to get too far into it this week, and we're going to be doing something different next week. But in chapter 4, we realize that the sons of Eli, with their contempt for the Lord, they carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle. The Ark of the Covenant, which is just this presence, the, 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 the throne of God, of God's presence. They carry into battle against the Philistines. Israel loses the battle. The sons of Eli die. The Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines and brought back into their own land. Eli is waiting outside of the gates of Shiloh, not for news of his sons, because I think he figures out pretty quick, I know what's going to happen to my sons in battle. He's waiting on news for the Ark. A messenger comes to him, tells him what's going on, and Eli falls to his death, breaking his neck. What's also interesting is the passage brings up Eli's weight as part of this. And it speaks of it in a way that's saying, you know, not only was Eli not stopping his sons from getting those rich portions of food, but Eli himself was also taking and partaking of this rich food that his sons were stealing from the other people and from the altar of God. As I've said before, if you think the Bible's boring, you're not reading it. Y'all, this reads like a television show, doesn't it? So back to the original question. You know, what do we do with the bad things in Scripture? Well, we talk about them. We talk about why the bad's happening. We think about where can this be going on in our own life, but then also we talk about how we can find the grace of Jesus Christ on the other side of it. So the bad, let's talk about what's bad in here. It was a sin of contempt. It was a sin of thinking that God is not worthy enough to be different. It was a sin of thinking that we can be reckless with our grace, that we can be reckless with where we've been placed in our life and God's goodness and how we can be reckless with the, with the fact that God has cleared a way for us and that God has watched out for us. Now, note here, this is not a message to those who are outside of God. This is a message to those people who, who claim God, who claim the benefits of this relationship with God. In chapter 2, when the sons of Eli are introduced, they're called scoundrels. That sounds like a cartoon word to me. We don't use the word scoundrel very much anymore, do we? It means worthless. And what's so funny is the idea of being worthless, we find all throughout the Old Testament, and it's applied to idolatry. It's not a word about personality or action. It's a word uh, about when we put ourselves, when we put our own practices, we put our own beliefs and those beliefs are worthless because they cannot save. They don't have the power of the living God inside of them. That they, 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 These worthless acts don't offer grace. These worthless acts don't offer redemption. And it gets worse because these are often the things that we think can offer grace and can offer redemption and can offer the good life. But they have no worth, no purpose. No ability. We often think of idolatry as you know, us worshiping something other than God. Or we think about you know, uh, something happening in the South Pacific. There's a little, little stone person that people are bowing down in front of. That's not what idolatry is in Scripture. Idolatry is us putting something alongside of God and giving it the same power that God has. 
It's us thinking we can find an easier or a more quicker way to joy sometimes that ends up twisting the truth of who the Lord is. You know, twisting what He does and, and how we're able to relate to Him. God's different. That's a fact. It shows that in Scripture. God is different. And part of our own submission to the Lord, what does it mean to call Him Lord and to submit to Him, means us sacrificing these momentary short things that we believe are better than the long game of the kingdom. Remember, friends, this, this whole chapter, this word is for those who are inside of God's family. This is not for the people who don't claim to know God or don't claim to worship God or don't claim to call Him Lord. This is about the people inside that haven't that haven't you know, twisted and, and, and turned about. And we all have to realize that we do this. I do this. You do this. We all do this. Romans says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In our world now, especially in the 21st century, we're friends, we are so self-focused. And it's easy, it's super easy to fall into this idea of the contempt of the law of God. We think God wants us to be happy, so as long as we aren't the worst one in the room, we're okay. That it's covered by grace, we're good, we don't have to worry about it. Friends, that is the sin of contempt. This is why we all need to understand this call to holiness. It's called a difference. Holiness first means recognizing that God is altogether different to us and we submit to His difference. We have to be willing to push into our own personal sin and our prayer life. We have to recognize that we need forgiveness once and we always need forgiveness now. But that forgiveness is offered to us by a loving and holy God. A.W. Tozer says this, until we have seen ourselves as God sees us, we are not likely to be much disturbed over conditions around us as long as they do not get so far out of hand as to threaten our comfortable way of life. Friends, we don't understand this until we understand that, you know, yes, we are sinful. We can admit that. But larger than that, that we are loved by God in spite of our sin. We need to realize that the idea of as long as sin doesn't hurt, it isn't that bad, isn't true. And we see you know, where it gets out of hand in this story of Eli and his sons and Samuel. But our story also begins to show us a path out of this. You know, Eli had, had tried to confront his sons, didn't work. Then Eli had been confronted by somebody else and it didn't work. And we find out that Eli has kind of been complicit in what his sons are doing because it didn't seem no bad. I was getting the good part of the meat. I was getting the ribeye and not the boiled top sirloin. Friends, for, for dinner tonight, uh, I started it last night. I'm braising venison shanks. Anybody had venison shanks before? Yeah. Friends, you don't cook a venison shank in 30 minutes. No. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. It spent two hours on the smoker last night. Then I put it in a Dutch oven full of peppers and onions and some tomato paste and some chicken broth for about three hours last night. Put it in the refrigerator, pulled it out this morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, put it back in the oven at 250, covered it up. It's going to ride out there until 6 o'clock. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it's tender. You know, the quick way out is Eli said, I'll take some of that ribeye too. We, we find this in the story, but we also see you know, Eli's redemption 
and how he reacts to this message from Samuel. His sons were totally lost. And when Samuel has this word from the Lord, I'm suspicious. The text doesn't tell us this, but I, I listen to his words. I'm suspicious that Eli knew what God was going to tell Samuel all along. It seems so in the text that he's not surprised. And he tells the kid first thing, hey, before you open your mouth, you need to tell the truth. I don't think he ever told his sons that. I would also like to think that Eli might have been rather intentional with young Samuel to keep him from being like his two sons. We see Eli being very deliberate with Samuel and not deliberate with his own sons. Eli being deliberate to not take this first word of God that has been given to Samuel and to treat that word of God with contempt. Eli knew that Israel needed the fresh start that was coming. I told you all last week, you know, the last half of Judges, the book of Ruth, and the beginning of 1 Samuel all kind of stacks on top at the same time. Friends, it was chaotic. You think things are kind of squirrely right now? Y'all, it was a lot worse back then. Samuel knew something had to change. Eli knew something had to change, and he knew that he had to help Samuel usher in that change to journey out of chaos and into the order of holiness and truth. Now, one commentator said this, the degree to which God has chosen to be dependent on good leadership and the spreading of His Word is striking. Friends, God gives us agency in how His Word is handled and used and spread. It's one of the reasons I have no problem telling people I'm a theological Wesleyan because of our belief in human responsibility. That part of our sanctification is us hearing from God, us being obedient, and us acting out in that, and thereby being able to experience even more of God. Do we want to make decisions, and do we want to experience what's holy and right? Or do we simply want our way and what is good for us? We have to make the decision of what we're willing to support. And what, what grace offers to us is not the command to be perfect, but to be in Christ. As John Wesley put it, God is pleased with sincere, with sincere while imperfect obedience. God cares about our sincerity with Him, with our truthfulness, with our honesty. He would rather us say, Lord, I'm having a really, really, really hard time with this. I'm doing kind of bad at it. I need your help. Than us saying, hey, I've got this, God. Don't need you. Just keep watching TV. Have your ribeye. You know, to wrap up, why do we read the tough parts of Scripture? Because we have to. And I told you last week how much I love Scripture. I think Scripture is completely sufficient for us, but I also love it because it's not about perfect people. It's about imperfect people. But it's about imperfect people in a journey towards grace with God alongside of them. And aren't we all that? Doesn't that describe? That describes me. I know that for certain. We all have our own journey out of chaos and, and, and into the peace of Jesus Christ. And, and let us take that on. And whatever realization we might have of Eli, let us take that on and contemplate that ourselves this morning as we leave here. Be able to say, Lord... Where am I showing you contempt? I don't even know if I'm doing this or not. Help disclose this to me. 
Regardless of what can happen in the past, we can find redemption in the present. We can find a hope for a future. And the decision that we make today is a decision to spread this Word of God in all, all shapes and ways. For us to simply say, Lord, I, I'm willing to let you move. Show me where I'm, start, I'm trying to block you. Lord, I want to make a journey out of chaos and into your order, into your holiness, into your kingdom that is already around me. Amen. Father, you're patient with us. Lord, I know that I, that, that I need patience. Lord, I know you've had to be patient with me. God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you for grace. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for how uh, you have come to us in your fullest measure, Lord, in so many ways that we can't even understand, but God, that we know you're loving. We know that you're faithful. We know that you're holy. Lord, and you disclose these things to us in the measure that we can comprehend and understand. Lord, in our own comprehension, our own understanding grows. We simply just respond to you in faithfulness, Lord. So please find us faithful. Let us be faithful. Let us hear from you. Lord, let us be like Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And let us have the bravery uh, to then answer when folks ask. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is number 156, I Love to Tell the Story. We'll sing verses 1, 3, and 4. 156.